This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus tonight. Lord, uh, thanking you for blessing us. Thank you for gathering us here. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the privilege of being able to come to you in prayer. And uh, we do pray for all of these we've mentioned tonight. Lord, many, many different needs represented, uh, but the answer for each one is, is uh, in you. We ask for your intervention. We ask for your grace, your comfort your healing power. We ask for wisdom in representing you uh, here in this world. We ask for wisdom in reaching out, ministering in every uh, way that you would have us to. Lord, especially in getting the gospel message out, we pray that you empower us. Give us opportunities. Give us wisdom. Give us boldness. We may share truth in love. Lord, we pray for your blessing on this uh, time of study tonight and ask that you uh, open our understanding, enable us to uh, get a better grasp of the truths contained in your word that we'll be looking at tonight. May it all work out for your honor and glory. For our good, in Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. All right, turn with me to First Timothy chapter four, if you would. First Timothy four. I want to zero in on a couple of verses here tonight, and really pick up. Um, Where we left off last week on our discussion last week, um, got into some interesting questions there that I, I, I don't want to really leave hanging, so I'm going to kind of deal with some of that before we move on. Um, but I want to read again verses 1 through 6. 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 6. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. If you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. Amen. 
Every creature is good. Now, I want to mainly focus in on verses 4 and 5 here, um, and we're going to look at some other passages, but these are the ones we uh, are expounding on here. These are the ones that I have in mind. For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving. It is sanctified by the Word of God and prayer. Now, keep in mind, um, as we've been saying all along, that um, this, this whole... Uh, book, you could say, is in the, the context of, of chapter 3, verse 15 there. Um, and he's giving his reason for writing there. So, again, as we've said many times, he's pointing out to us how to conduct ourselves uh, as the people of God, to paraphrase it. He says, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And we talked about how the truth is central to the message and mission of the church. Truth is central. And central to the truth is the person of Jesus Christ. And you see that in verse 16. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the Spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. Paul calls this the mystery of godliness. Or, again, back in verse 15, the truth. Down in verse 6, chapter 4, verse 6, he talks about um, being a good servant of Jesus Christ, nourished in words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. Words of faith, good doctrine, the truth, the mystery of godliness. All of these things are references really to the same thing that revealed truth that God has given us. And it's set over against or in, in, uh, in contrast to, for example, uh, verse 1, deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. So doctrines of deception, you could say, which are, which are motivated by demonic, or, uh, produced by demonic influence. And then you look down at verse 7, reject profane and old wives' fables. And exercise yourself toward godliness. So, again, the church is all about truth. Or you could say, truth is central to the message and mission of the church. So, so the apostle is very, very careful to, um, to articulate truth and to warn against error. It's important to have the truth. Because the truth is what God Himself has delivered to us. These other things are coming from um, other sources and actually uh, actually pervert the truth or distract from the truth. Um, so again, he call, he refers to them as doctrines of demons, um, product of deceiving spirits, uh, Wives' fables, that kind of thing. All right, so keep, keep those things in mind. Um, and, and a couple of examples that Paul gives here, uh, and, and he doesn't expound on these. I mean, we don't have all the detail about what these particular false teachers were teaching. But he, but he does cite a couple of examples just in passing, sort of. Um, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving. So there's two examples. Forbidding to marry and abstinence from 
from foods, or we could probably say uh, abstinence from certain foods. Uh, obviously, they're not even the false teachers aren't teaching abstain from food. Period. <laughs> they wouldn't be around teaching very long. They did that. Uh, so it's obviously certain foods they are warning against. So uh, forbidding to marry and abstinence from foods that God created to be received, which He says are good. So they're so they're commanding abstinence from good things that God created to be received with thanksgiving. Now we do a lot of a lot of. Uh, preaching a lot of times um, against uh, following the lust of the flesh, overindulgence and things, and rightfully so. And, and, and uh, hopefully we'll deal with that a little bit too. But rightfully so. But in the midst of that, a lot of times, what, what we tend to uh, uh, de-emphasize is that God has given us all things to enjoy. So, in other words, the things of this world, material things, um, and then things like food, uh, so forth, are intended for our pleasure. It's not wrong to uh, partake of uh, food and to have pleasure in it, uh, and so forth. Uh, it can be wrong under certain certain circumstances, but the thing itself is not wrong. Marriage is not wrong. Jesus did say in the resurrection there won't be any marrying or giving in marriage. So after this life, you know, once we're in glorified bodies, there, there will be no marriage. Uh, there will be no sex. That's what he is plainly saying. Now, that truth led some to believe, and, and still does, um, that. Those things are wrong. So the, the Apostle Paul is making clear here, no, marriage is not wrong. In fact, uh, he says in another place, it's honorable. Marriage is honorable and the marriage bed undefiled. It's a good thing God has given, uh, given us to enjoy. Foods are good things God has given us to enjoy. So the bottom line is this. God's creation is good. And that's probably um, what Paul probably has in mind here is Genesis 1, for example, when he says in verse 4, For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused. Every creature of God is good. Now, just you, you can read the Genesis 1, you'll see that uh, stated several times, but here's just one example, Genesis 1.31, and this is at the end of the uh, sixth day of creation. Then God saw everything that He made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day, Genesis 1.31. So there's a... Uh, a probability here, like I say again, Paul doesn't give us all the details, but we do know that years later, um, the, the Gnostics, which became a, a, a pretty big movement, um, did teach that material things were bad, evil, and of course God and spiritual things are good. And so they, they, they took that and, and, uh, you know, different perversions, uh, 
perverse doctrines manifested out of that. Um, but this looks like the forerunners of that right here. Some are forbidding to marry and commanding abstinence from foods which God intended to be received with thanksgiving because these things, verse 5, these foods he goes on to talk about are sanctified by the Word of God and prayer. John Calvin um, says this, Paul means that those things which come from the hand of God and are intended for our use are not unclean, are polluted before God, but that we may freely eat that we may freely eat them with regard to conscience. So God's creation is good, and it it, it is to be uh, food is to be received with thanksgiving. All things that we enjoy, all blessings that we enjoy, um, are to be enjoyed. Uh, with thankfulness to God. God is glorified in that. Uh, God is glorified in a godly, biblical marriage relationship, for example. Um, again, Jesus did say there won't be any marriage uh, after the resurrection. But he, but he did not say it's a bad thing here. In fact, just the opposite. Scripture teaches that it is a good thing. He who finds a wife finds a good thing, and obtains favor from the Lord. Children are the heritage of the Lord. So wives, husbands, children are direct blessings from the Lord. It's a good thing. Blessing. Um, and God calls some to be single, and that's, that's, that's another... That's a blessing also. It's another kind of blessing. But not, not everybody's commanded to be single. Not everybody's commanded to be married. Um, either way is good. Alright. Now, let's go back again here. Kind of pick up where we left off last time. Verse 4. For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving. Um, I want to Look at a couple of passages here, probably maybe more than a couple. We'll see how much time we have. Um, look for a moment at Mark 7. <coughs> we looked at this last week. This is all. This same event is also recorded in Matthew Matthew 15, um, Mark 7, verse 1. Then the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to him, having come from Jerusalem. Now, when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is, with unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way holding the tradition of the elders. Remember that phrase, because you're going to see it again. Holding the tradition of the elders. When they, when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other things which they have received and hold, like the washing of cups, pitchers, copper vessels, and couches. Now again, I think I said this last week, but... This, when it talks about 
you know, they saw that Jesus and his disciples were eating without washing their hands, um, and, and they found fault with that. Now, this, this kind of washing is not to kill bacteria like we do. They didn't even know about that back then. <laughs> it's, a, it's a ceremonial thing. So what, what they're looking for here is a kind of uh, spiritual cleansing, a, a righteousness. It's, it's, a, it's a ceremonial uh, act um, uh, symbolizing uh, cleansing, cleansing of the person, not, not just cleansing your hands of, uh, of bacteria and dirt and so forth, but being in, in a, a clean, in a sense, before God. It's, it, it is a, a form of, uh, well, seeking righteousness, self-righteousness. So, they noticed, and this was the tradition handed down to them, uh, and, and they noticed that Jesus and, and uh, the disciples weren't doing it. I mean, it's a common tradition. All the Jews did it, the devout Jews. And so when they see that, that uh, the disciples of Jesus are not doing this, they, uh, they are quick to accuse them for transgressing the tradition of the elders. The tradition of the elders. There's a, there's a contrast here between scriptural truth, that is God-ordained truth, what God has said, and the tradition of men, tradition of the elders. Um, so here it goes. There's a little bit of conflict here. Verse 5, Then the Pharisees and scribes asked, Ask him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? He answered and said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men." So, Jesus answers with an indictment. They say, why aren't your disciples keeping the, the tradition of the elders? Why aren't they adhering to the tradition of the elders? And Jesus says, you know what? Isaiah did well when he prophesied about you hypocrites. And here's what he said. Here's what Isaiah said. This people honors me with their lips. That is, they give me, we would say today, they, they give me lip service, but their heart is far from me, they they were very devout when it came to keeping the tradition of the elders. What what people perceived to be righteous, you know, outwardly, um, they were uh, pretty rigorous in in keeping those things. But they had no real righteousness. They had no in, inner righteousness. Uh, their heart was far from God. So really. Their, their whole thing was about self-righteousness rather than uh, loving God and honoring God and, and, uh, and keeping God's Word. In fact, Jesus goes on to give an example. And, and here's the real issue. In fact, let me, let me just put this in question form first. What's wrong with tradition? Is there anything wrong with tradition? Hmm? It could be wrong. Could be, right? Is it always wrong? It doesn't. It's not necessarily wrong, right? <clears throat> A lot of what we do right here is tradition of the of the elders, or you could say the fathers, or traditions of men. A lot of what we do right here is traditions of men. 
Um, but all tradition is not wrong, but it can be wrong. It can be good. It can be bad. The trick is, <laughs> is discerning what traditions are good, what traditions are bad. And, and probably the real, uh, you know, the bottom line acid test is, does it come into conflict with God's Word? With God's will. If it does, if, if, if we've got a tradition that conflicts with God's revealed will, then, then we've got a problem. And then that, that tradition is necessarily wrong because God's will is always right. So no matter how good it sounds to us, um, if it, if it contradicts God's will, which we know, you know, from God's word, then uh, then it's bad. Now he's going to give them an example of this. It's it's foreign to us, but <clears throat> but it's something they were doing in their day. Um, verse eight: For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers and cups, and many other such things you do. Um, verse nine: He said to them, All too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. Uh, this is what he's talking about. When there, there's a conflict between commandment of God and tradition of men. And Jesus says to them, you are willing to reject the commandment of God and keep your tradition. Verse 10, here's the example. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother. And he who curses father or mother... Let him be put to death. Death penalty for, for not honoring your father and mother. That's the law. Um, Mosaic law, according to Mosaic law. What does it mean? What does it mean to honor your father and your mother? You ever thought about that? What's it mean? Anybody want to answer that? I mean, you can put it in your own words. But I mean, just describe what we think it means to, to honor your father and mother. Amen. Respect their, their position even. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I, I try to always think about anybody that's older than me. I always try to say yes, no, no, yes, no, Yeah. That's a tradition of men that, that I like. <laughs> Well said. I, I don't want to do something that would make him feel like I disrespect him. Amen. Anybody else? That was very well said. It, it, now, it, it, it goes a little further in, in a practical sense. Um, and, and sometimes I think you know, this is real easy to miss. In fact, this passage in Matthew 15 uh, is really what... Uh, you know, years ago, help help bring it out for me, um, because we we're not in this culture. We're not we're in a different culture than 
than they were. So we, we miss sometimes certain things until you do a little more digging or whatever. Um, our culture is different. Matter of fact, we have a problem today just doing what, what Karen just said. It was, you know, getting uh, kids and ourselves, you know, to, to uh, just have respect. Have respect. But actually, the, the biblical mandate in the Old Testament, honor your father and mother, is, is really goes beyond that. It has to do with caring for them. But it certainly is, includes what Karen was saying and is, is all based on that. I mean, you'd have to have that. You'd have to have genuine respect. And then you, uh, you, it actually plays out in that you provide for them when the time comes, when they get, when they get older, when they can't take care of themselves. You care for them, provide for them. Or, you know, try to do what you can to make sure they're looked after. So, he says, here's the command. You honor your father and your mother. And anybody that won't do that is worthy of the death penalty. Let him be put to death. That's command Moses gave. Verse 11. But you say, and he's talking to the Pharisees, but you say, if a man says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is Corban. That is a gift to God. Then you no longer let him do anything for his father or his mother. All right? What is Corbin? What is Corbin? Well, it, it was a uh, it was a you could say tradition, but I, but it well it was commanded. It was commanded by God. God said, "Honor your your father and, and your mother. Take care of them." But these these. Uh, Pharisees, um, Jewish leaders had set up this tradition. He calls it was just called here Corban, where they would take the money that was supposed to go to their parents and and give it to the uh, those who do the temple service. Give it to the temple, and they would say, you know, instead of giving it. To our parents, we want to give it to God. It's a gift to God. That's uh, again verse uh, verse eleven. Whatever profit you might have received from me is Corbin. So you, you know he's kind of uh, uh, rhetorically he's just giving you a situation like you you've got a kid a person speaking to their parents saying whatever profit you might have received from me is Corbin. That is a gift to God. I'm going to take it and give it to God. I'm going to give it as an offering. And the religious leaders, of course, were allowing that. In fact, they were blessing that because who's getting the money? <laughs> they, they were. They were. So, yeah, they were blessing that. You know, you, you can... Uh, th- this is like an indulgence, you know, that the Roman Catholics were involved in um, in, the, in the Middle Ages. Uh, Still are, I suppose, to some extent. But they would say, you, you can take that money. It's okay. God, you know, God will honor you giving it directly to Him instead of giving it to your parents. Um, and, and it'll be a gift to God. He'll bless that because you're giving it to Him. And Jesus is saying, oh, no. The commandment of God was, and is, honor your father and your mother. And so by your tradition, Corbin, taking those funds and giving them to God, by your tradition, you are transgressing the commandment 
of God. So verse 12, he says, uh, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or his mother. In other words, he's off the hook if he'll, if he'll bring the, uh, the money to, to you. He's off the hook. You no longer let him do anything for his father and his mother, making the word of God of no effect through your tradition. See what he's saying? By your tradition, you have voided God's word. God said, honor your father and mother. But you, hypocrites, Pharisees, religious leaders, but you have said, no, it's okay if you do it this way. Thus, Jesus says, in doing that, you're making the Word of God of no effect. You're voiding it through your tradition, which you have handed down. And then he says, and many such things you do. Now, Verse 14, when he had called all the multitude to himself, he said to them, Hear me, everyone, and understand. There is nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him. Remember the charge. They're saying, Your disciples are eating without washing their hands. Therefore, they are made spiritually unclean. That's the idea here. They are defiled by their refusal to wash their hands. And so Jesus says in verse 15, There is nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him. But the things which come out of him, those are the things that defile a man. So just like they twisted the commandment, uh, honor your father and mother, and they figured out a way around it, or thought they did anyway, um, he's saying you're, you're, you're also not understanding what holiness is all about. The Lord commands you to be holy. He doesn't mean wash your hands before you eat. Because it's not what goes in that defiles you. It's what comes out that defiles you. When the Lord says, be ye holy even as I am holy, He's meaning deal with the stuff on the inside. That's where... The real problem is. So again, verse 15, he says, Plainly, there is nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him. That that is what I would call an absolute statement. I mean, it couldn't be much clearer. But the things which come out of him, those are the things that defile a man. You know why? Because sin is not in those things outside of us. Sin is in us. And it comes out. It manifests through words, through deeds. But we don't, it's not something we pick up somewhere and put in us, like, like we said last week. It's not something you eat or something you drink. There's no sin in those foods that the people were telling the people in Ephesus, you know, don't eat of these things. There's no sin in marriage. And so they're telling them, you know, don't, don't be married because if you get married, uh, then to a certain extent, you know, you're going to have to uh, fulfill fleshly needs. There's no sin in that. In fact, again, very clear, the Scripture says that marriage is honorable. There's no sin in 
food or drink. It's inside us. So Jesus says in verse 16, If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. He's pretty, pretty emphatic on this, isn't he? Nothing outside of you can defile you. It's what is in you that comes out that defiles you. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Now that's the command of God. That's the Word of God. God says, nothing that enters the body can defile a man. But what's in there already, in your heart, that comes out, that can defile you. Yet, in, in our day, we, we do the same thing that the scribes and Pharisees were doing. Isn't it amazing in our churches, for example, we can, we can do things like gossip, which is letting the sin within flow out and does defile us. We can abuse our spouses or our children or just not love them like God commanded. Just like here, God says, honor your father and your mother. If you don't do that, you're worthy of death. And He also commands spouses to love and honor one another. He also commands parents to love their children. But isn't it interesting we can not do those things. We can break those commands of God And yet, as long as we don't do certain outward things, you know, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't use filthy language, we can still be considered righteous in the eyes of men. And so, with our traditions of men, we transgress the command of God. We pick certain things... And mark them as taboo and say, you know what, you'll you'll be alright, you'll be a good Christian if you stay away from that. If you stay away from that. If you stay away from that. And if you don't dress like that. What about the selfishness? What about the gossip? What about the abuse? What about the covetousness? Well, those things are okay because nobody really... notices those things so much. What they notice is if you've got a beer in your hand or if you've got a cigarette in your hand. And you see what Jesus is saying is just the opposite. It's not what goes in you that defiles you. It's what comes out of you that defiles you. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, his disciples are still struggling with this. Verse 17, When he had entered a house away from the crowd, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. So he said to them, Are you thus without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from outside cannot defile him, because it does not enter his heart, but his stomach? Now, when he says heart, I mean, you know, he's not talking about the, the, uh, the organ there. Uh, he's talking about your, your innermost being. Something that comes in you from outside does not enter your heart. It enters your stomach. And it is eliminated. And let me paraphrase this for again for understanding here, uh, because I think most of your Bibles probably have that next phrase, thus purifying all foods. Most of your Bibles probably have those in uh, red um, and uh, indicating that Jesus said that. And I don't think that's what's taking place here. I think that is Mark interjecting 
uh, his thought here. So, in other words, Jesus says, because it does not enter his heart but his stomach and is eliminated. And then Mark says, again paraphrasing, he said this, purifying all foods. So, Mark, Mark is saying, the teaching of Jesus at this point purifies all foods. Remember, they were under Mosaic law at the time, and certain foods were marked as unclean and some clean. But, Mark seems to indicate that now Jesus is making it clear that all foods are pure. And Paul says it this way in 1 Timothy 4, Every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the Word of God, and he may even have in mind there what Jesus said in Mark 7. It's sanctified, that is, it is made holy by the Word of God and prayer. So a simple little thing like food and drink, and not, and not to mention other things, like you know, marriage would be included too. Other other things that we do, other things that we engage in, but a simple little thing like food and drink is made holy for our use by the Word of God and prayer. So Jesus goes on in verse twenty, still talking to his disciples, and he said, "What comes out of a man that defiles a man?" For from within, out of the heart, remember he said, things that you eat or drink, things from outside, don't defile you because they don't go into the heart, right? That's what he says in verse 19. Because it does not enter his heart. Now he's saying what does defile you is what proceeds out of your heart. See, the problem is our heart. (laughs) It's not, not a bottle of liquor. It's not tobacco. It's not fatty food. It's not sex. The problem is not outside of us. The problem is in us. What defiles us is part of us. So Jesus says, again, verse 20, What comes out of a man, that defiles a man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, Thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. Now that's how a person is defiled. In fact, we come into this world defiled. We're born defiled. Not the things from outside of us, because sin is not outside of us. Sin is in us. And those things like foods, drink, those things are morally neutral. I mean, they're, they're just things. They're not good. They're not bad. We're the ones that are not morally neutral. So we're the ones that defile. We defile. If anything gets defiled, it's us defiling those things, not those things defiling us. Because the sin is in us. 
Now, <clears throat> I do want to make one thing clear here, all right? Because we, we, had, we, had, we had a good discussion last week and we had some fun with it, but I do want to make one thing clear so that hopefully there's no confusion um, in regard to, for example, alcohol. The Bible does forbid drunkenness. It does forbid drunkenness. Definitely. Absolutely. Do not be drunk with wine, Paul said. And, and he said wine, that's what they drank, but I think it applies to whiskey. <laughs> you name it. Whatever it is, uh, vodka, you name it. In other words, don't be drunk. But he said, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. So he's saying, don't be intoxicated with alcohol, and by the way, he did drink alcohol. Paul drank wine, and he instructed Timothy to drink wine. Jesus drank wine. And Jesus said to the Pharisees, some of, some of the same ones possibly that he's talking to here, at least the same type crowd, he said John, talking about John the Baptist, John the Baptist, who, who was, uh, uh, well, we, a, a teetotaler is what they used to say. Jesus said, John came... Neither eating nor drinking. Now, he didn't mean that he didn't eat at all, but he, did, he didn't overeat. In fact, we know, right? He ate, uh, uh, I mean, you know, he didn't eat for pleasure, not just overeat, but I mean, he didn't just eat for pleasure. He ate locusts and wild honey. And Jesus said, John came neither eating nor drinking. And, and you, wouldn't, you wouldn't listen to him. You wouldn't have anything to do with him. He said he had a demon. And the Son of Man, talking about himself, Jesus said, And the Son of Man came eating and drinking. And you say he's a glutton and a wine-bibber. In other words, they, they said he's... Well, here, there's John. They didn't like him. Um, and, and he was a teetotaler. And here's Jesus. He comes eating and drinking. And they said, well, he's a, he's a glutton and a drunk. You know what the real problem was? That Jesus and John were both telling the truth. And that's what they didn't like. That's what they didn't like. That they were both telling the truth. So yes, drunkenness is definitely forbidden. And we're not going to have time to get into it tonight. I wanted to also go to... uh, Romans 14 and 1 Corinthians 10. But let me just quickly give you the gist of it. We as Christians are not totally without law. We are constrained by the law of love. So while all of these things are not good or evil in and of themselves, I mean, they're good because they're God's creation, just like Paul says here in 1 Timothy 4. But uh, uh, they're not good in the sense of being righteous. Um, and they're not evil. But depending how we use them, uh, evil can be uh, perpetrated with them. So, for example, let's take alcohol again since it's uh, a big deal in our society. <clears throat> so, for example, if someone is offended by your use of alcohol, then what do you as a Christian do? Don't use it. Don't use it. Simple rule, right? 
just because we want to do all things in love. But you know, that Paul also says that about meat. If, if my feet, my meat offends, then he says, I, I won't eat meat. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. So our thing is, we don't want to cause offense. We don't. We don't want to put a stumbling block. We're on a mission to lead people to Christ, and we should know the truth, and we should know these things, and we should know that um, where where real righteousness lies. But you don't want to put a stumbling block in somebody's way, and you want to. You don't want to do anything that would hinder them in their. Uh, following Christ. So here's the deal. Sometimes we ask the wrong question, and especially in, in regard to things like that, uh, uh, alcohol or, you know, maybe things like going to the movies or, or whatever. I don't know. There's a lot, of, a lot of things you could apply this to. <clears throat> we ask the wrong question. Our, our question a lot of times is this. Can I do that and still be a Christian? Can I do that and still be saved? That's really the wrong question. The right question is, can I do that and glorify God? Because your, your salvation is not dependent upon what you eat or drink or whether you go to a movie or don't go to a movie. But the problem is, um, we're here... Well, let me just say it this way. We say this a, a lot. It's not about me. Not about us. So we just got to keep that in mind. So instead of thinking, because I've actually heard people ask those kind of questions. Can I, can I do that? Can a saved person do that? Can I do that and still be saved? Well, again, the, the right question would be, can I do that and glorify God in the process? Is God going to be glorified if I watch that? Is God going to be glorified if I eat that? Is God going to be glorified if I drink that? Is God going to be glorified if I say that? And that's the question we, we've got to be asking. Will God be glorified? Sit down to watch TV. Will, will God be glorified if I do this? You go to say something to, <laughs> to your wife or to your husband. Is God going to be glorified in what I'm about to say? Are you correct your children? Is God going to be glorified in the way that I'm correcting my children? That's the question to ask. But clearly, and I think this is the main, main and we're done here, but I, I think this is the main argument Paul is making in 1 Timothy 4 when he points out their demonic doctrines, you know, of abstaining from marriage, abstaining from certain foods. Because... Righteousness, our righteousness, is Christ and Christ alone. Nothing we do is going to earn righteousness or don't do. Nothing we abstain from is going to make us better. Nothing we do is going to make us better. We have a righteousness which theologians call an alien righteousness. That means it is, it is outside of us. It, it comes from... Somewhere else. It's not ours. We, we, it's, we didn't have it inherently, and we're not going to work it up. 
We're not going to become righteous. It's a righteousness outside of us. It's the righteousness of Christ. And that's the problem with those kinds of doctrines. You've got to wash your hands or you'll be unclean before the Lord. Don't touch that. Don't eat that. Don't drink that. Don't say that. You'll be, un- you'll be unclean before the Lord or whatever. You can't do anything to be righteous. Our righteousness is through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Because inside us is sin. That's where our defilement is in our heart. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word and Lord for these uh, for these truths. Lord, we don't begin to realize the sin within us. We do ask for a better understanding, Lord, so that we may better understand your grace. Better understand what it means that Christ came and that he died for sinners. You died for a people that in one sense you abhor because of our sin. And yet you loved us and sent your Son to pay the penalty, to take our sin upon Himself and put His righteousness on us. Thank you. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304 Highway 80, Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.